Hey, church. Happy New Year. Can you believe it, right? And I felt really privileged to be living in Queensland because I could watch the Sydney fireworks at 11 and then go to bed. That's what you do. Hope you've uh, had a, a great season over Christmas, uh, blessings and then New Year. One thing that uh, I am very aware of as we begin a new year is that uh, society, even church, sometimes says, well, the old is gone, the new is come. It's like uh, we get to the opportunity to make resolutions. So let's all make our New Year resolutions and let's power on into this 2021 thing. Well, not sure that that's so true. Uh, what is true, though, is God is alive and he's given us a new day. This is a new day. And so it's not like it's like any other day. It's just the new day that God has given to us. And we get to serve him. We get to worship him. Uh, thanks, team. Uh, thanks, Dan, for leading us. And we uh, get to step into this new day. So for me, really not about New Year's resolutions, but it is about opportunities that have started today that I didn't have yesterday. Amen? Awesome. So we, uh, we're going to start Ecclesiastes. Uh, before I do that, and you've got a, a moment or two if you want to, to begin to open up and find where it is, either on your app or in your Bible, uh, it would be great for you to be looking at chapter one of Ecclesiastes as we push through here this morning. Uh, I want to uh, remind you, we've been talking about it over the last month or two, that we have a number of opportunities for internships here at Northreach. So if that's something that you've been praying about, the, uh, the stop point or the deadline is next Sunday. So uh, send me an email, send Pierre an email, send one just to the church office. Uh, we want the opportunity to respond and reflect with you. Uh, we only have a, a few uh, positions available, but we want to be able to talk to people, uh, be that a, uh, an intake for uh, February or be it a, a mid-year or maybe for next year. So please pray about that and let us know your interest. You know, we set aside in planning 30 minutes for a message on Sundays. Usually there's uh, three of those 30-minute slots that happen here at Northreach, a couple in the morning, one in the evening. Um, 30 minutes, not a long time. Often it's too long. <laughs> when It depends on the preacher, like... You get some of our preachers up here, it's fine. When you see Gary with the headset on, you start to panic. Uh, if we happen to go for 50 minutes, that was a mistake, all right? It wasn't planned. We planned for 30 minutes. Every time we do this 30-minute segment, approximately 560 children die in poverty around the globe. Lots more children die in that 30 minutes, but 560 from poverty. 
which I'd have to say is needless, yeah? Just not necessary. Silly world. 30 minutes is important. Children are important. Time is important. Solomon writes this book of wisdom, Ecclesiastes, is about insights and instructions because he himself was running out of time. It caused him to think deeply about eternity and where he was going. God has given Northreach an awesome vision. We have a, a fantastic mission, a vision to reach this northern region, sharing the precious truth that Jesus is the saviour and that he came to live and to die for everyone who will put their trust in him. Such good news, yeah? What good news that is. Well, at least you seem excited about it. Is that good news or what? What an opportunity to see lives changed by the power of the gospel. And how quickly has 2020 come and gone? Time just keeps moving on. And I'm here today and I think about my kids, they're all grown up now and Tracy and I are experiencing uh, the empty nest syndrome, at least that'll be true from next Thursday. Uh, my little girls have grown up into awesome women of God and my son is recently married and alongside his very musical and beautiful wife leads worship in a Melbourne church. And I want to stand here and say to you, I understand that's a privilege for me. Now, not everybody experiences the same privileges as I've experienced in that. And I thank the Lord for that. I know that's all about God. So the blessings that come to me because uh, my, I can share with Tracy my faith and, and I can share that in our family and I can share that with others, I know that's a blessing. And in some respects, it's quite unique. And I understand the privilege that God has given to me in that. You see, as we press into Ecclesiastes, we also need to understand the privilege that Solomon was given and that God had a message for all time for the church that was given to us through the writings of Solomon that come from the experiences of Solomon who had privilege beyond privilege. And we're going to step into that and try to understand that a little bit as we progress this morning. That not everybody would have been able to write Ecclesiastes, but God's plan enabled Solomon to write it for purpose. And we will miss the purpose if we don't actually identify with it. We will totally miss in this series what God wants to communicate to us unless we step in and see what wisdom it is that, that Solomon is able to communicate to us. Enabled by the Spirit of God, inspired by God himself, with wisdom literature that can actually now be totally relevant and apply to us in 2021. I mean, simple as that is, that's incredibly awesome. So don't miss it. Life continues to move on with all its opportunities, its blessings, its hopes, teaching moments, miracle moments, prayerful moments, sorrowful moments, 
and the gift of life and loss. So many memories, even right now, that I'm sure are flooding into your mind as they flood into mine. Memories are all these moments of time invested into our minds. Reflections on time and experiences, they're like picture frames, so many snap frozen pieces of happiness, sadness, fun experiences and bunches of lessons along the way. They bring all these pieces of learning to our lives that help us develop our thinking, support us as we grow, force us to think clearly. They present us with lessons and concepts, all precious moments of time that will hopefully not ever be forgotten or set aside. All of these uh, little lessons are to be invested into our growing. They need also to be balanced with wisdom and insight from God. God desires that... Please work. Hey, there we are. That we make everything meaningful. That we do everything to make our life count. So what I would suggest there is, reading between the lines, God wants us to put in an effort. He wants us, as we often talk about, to participate with him in what he is doing. We can step aside and choose not to participate or we can get involved and allow God to shape our life. When we participate with God, we experience growing. I've learned a lot in 11 months here at Northreach. What a year, what an 11 months it's been, right? Uh, so much development and change and rapid at the moment learning. And I've invested a lot of ministry, a lot of learning over 42 years of Christian leadership. I've learned to fail fruitfully, to lead more like Jesus, to pray alone with others um, and to trust God. And, of course, to use my time more wisely than I had done previously. If we're not learning and growing and applying, uh, we're missing opportunities. I would suggest that getting older aids that process. By the time Solomon writes Ecclesiastes, he's had a lot of life experience. You seem to try a little more to make good with the time that you have as you grow and you learn to invest the time that you have well because once it's gone, it's not coming back. Time, I mean. Once it's gone, it's not coming back. So these lessons is what we will focus on today. Solomon proposes some questions in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Uh, he's so inspirational. <laughs> As we read it, you'll be like, what? <laughs> inspirational? Are you kidding? Um, but God has a message here for us, and it's for us to check in and have a look. Uh, this is his introduction. He, he starts his book writing these words, the words of the preacher, the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Uh, vanity of vanities, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. 
Uh, fun guy, right? He says, is everything meaningless? Is life so boring and lifeless? Maybe some of you would agree with him that life can be boring and even senseless. But how we respond to this and answer these questions is heavily dependent on our relationship with God and how time is invested in our life. Maybe you've heard someone say, I'm bored with life. I feel like I'm doing nothing of value or worth. And then so this so-called bored person goes out and does something really pretty silly instead of finding a meaningful existence. Uh, Maybe there are a few examples of NRL players that would kind of hit that list. Some people seem to have everything and life's pretty sweet on the outside, but perilous things are going on in their life. I knew a guy when I was younger. He was a guy that I wanted to be like. Uh, I was into footy and cricket and anything that had remotely shaped like a ball. Uh, I was into doing that. He could not do any of that. It didn't interest him. He wasn't into it. He used to ride, ride motorbikes in a paddock. Uh, on a street, wherever, he rode motorbikes. I was jealous of his ability to ride motorbikes, right? Um, I, I just looked up to him, but mostly because when he came into the room, the atmosphere changed and people expected to hear something about God. They expected to hear something uplifting because that's who he was. He was really a very motivated kind of person and wanted to motivate us as his younger mentees, the people who wanted to follow him. He wanted us to follow God. Uh, Then there was a day when I didn't see him around the church and then uh, the next week he wasn't around the church and spasmodically he may appear on the fringes but uh, there came a time when we just didn't see him at church again. Didn't see him anymore. I remember running into him in a shopping centre and and just saying, hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you for ages. How you doing? He goes, well, not very well. He'd walked away. He'd made choices. And he was experiencing there are consequences from those kinds of choices to choose to walk away from God. And as much as anything, I feel like that experience helped me to not be that person. I did not want to be that person. Let's read the passage in Ecclesiastes and jump right into this. Everything is meaningless. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything's meaningless. What do people gain from their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet... The sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return also. 
All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear fill its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? Well, maybe not. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless and are chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled over uh, Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. And this comes from the wisest man ever. Uh, It's kind of important that we make that reading, (laughs) that I read that out to you. Uh, that we identify that this is wisdom knowledge, Uh, this is learning, this is a life that was lived and some reflections upon the life lived by the wisest man. And we need some perspective. But the question remains, is the, the life we live meaningless? Do people live meaningless lives? And I believe the answer is yes for some. And no for others. The truth is some people do live meaningless lives. But the truth equally is that an absolute no to that answer for every believer in Jesus Christ, for every person who has faith in our living God, because he takes a meaningless life with no value to it and he makes it a life filled with eternal value. God gives meaning to life. God takes our life and gives it eternal value and worth. Solomon is the author of this book and he certainly seems to embellish his experiences. He suggests a life outside of faith in God is a meaningless, worthless life. It'll be good to know a bit about the author of Ecclesiastes, uh, a little bit about Solomon, who is the son of King David, as he states in the introduction. And I, I feel it's important as we begin this series that we have a little bit of background which will set the scene for our future learning. So today will be significantly a day where we try to pick up the perspective and the context of who this man Solomon is and why he has written what he's written. Good to know a little bit about him. In 2 Chronicles 1, 
we'll go there in a minute, from verse 8, there is some background. He was made king by God and God communicated the fact that Solomon would be king to his father David. Uh, King David was Solomon's father. His mother was Bathsheba. And you might remember David first spotted Bathsheba while she was taking a bath on the top of her roof. Uh, Why did this happen? Because David was bored one night and just happened to be idle in his time and observed this lady taking a bath. David sent for her and had an affair with her. She was married to Uriah, who was off fighting in David's army. Bathsheba becomes uh, pregnant and David tries to cover it all up. He sends for Uriah to create this cover-up. But Uriah is the faithful, loyal servant of David and he refuses to go home. So David's plan cannot be actioned. Then David finds out that he did not go home and he sets him up to be killed in battle, sends him to the front line. So David, who's described later in the scriptures as a man after God's own heart, orders the death of his loyal servant to cover up his own sin. David's plan works and Uriah is killed in battle. Now, here's the crazy part or a crazy part of that story. David then takes Bathsheba, which we would expect to be his wife, And in the eyes of the people, because of the culture of the day, he's viewed as a hero for providing safety for Uriah's widow. But the Bible reveals this whole ordeal is a farcical cover-up of David's sin. And David thinks he's gotten away with it, but he missed the fact that God promised to bring sin into the light. God reveals the truth to Nathan, the prophet, and Nathan confronts David about his sin. And this is a story that remains for me and for us as a prime example that sin has consequence and God brings judgment onto David for his sin. You see, the baby in Bathsheba dies and David is exposed and humiliated. David shows that he is repentant. He does repent of his sin and he mourns, but judgment remains. And the consequence brings God's plan into focus. You see, after prayer, after repentance, confession, mourning, David is able to move on in his life. And with his new wife Bathsheba, they are again pregnant and Solomon is born. He's the tenth son of David and God chooses him to be the next king of Israel. There's going to be a whole lot of other family issues that happen. That's for another time. But the point is Solomon is raised by parents who come together in a way that was not God-honouring, and he is the son of a murderer. Solomon experiences the love of God through the grace of God, that God, even in the environment of this sinful relationship, Uh, creates an opportunity for Solomon to come into this position of influence. Solomon is loved by God and Solomon is chosen to be the king by God. And Nathan the prophet makes another appearance and directs Solomon to be this next king. 
And here's the kicker. When Solomon was made king and he'd offered up sacrifices to the Lord, he prayed to the Lord in two chronicles, and we'll read it in a moment. And he asks God to give him wisdom and knowledge. And that's massive in the context of the whole of our understanding of Ecclesiastes. To have a little bit of background of where this guy came from helps us uh, to kind of nurture and sift into these learnings and apply them. See how they're real from a real person. So Solomon asked God for wisdom because he knew he could not lead the people of God adequately without the insight of God on his life. And we should get inspired by the heart of this new king. Let's read what he has to say uh, to God. All right, there we go. So if you want to read along or you want to take some notes, 2 Chronicles chapter 1, reading from verse 8. Uh, Solomon is having an interaction with God. And Solomon answered God, You have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in this place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father, David, be confirmed, for you have made me king over the people who are as numerous as the dust on the earth. In verse 10, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, possessions or honour, nor the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth, possessions and honour, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will ever have. Then Solomon went to Jerusalem from the high place of Gibeon from before the tent of meeting and he reigned over Israel. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horses, He kept them in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. And in verse 15, the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. This guy is the author of our book, Ecclesiastes. This is the framework to his learning. He lived this life. He is this person who, uh, compared with with me, I won't say compared with you, uh, compared with me, is so wise, has so many experiences, is so incredibly well fitted out to share some of these learnings with us. As humble as that seems, It would do me good to have a listen to what he has to say. So the point of all of this is we now know who the author of the book is. So we re-look at the question in chapter 1, is life a meaningless circle with no eternal value? 
Are we all caught on a meaningless roundabout? And we are encouraged to make a decision here that we make our life matter. Solomon seems to suggest everything in life has a cycle, that life goes around and around and potentially doesn't make a lot of sense. We have our regular do's and don'ts. Uh, We have our patterns. We have our jobs. But it's the same day after day after day. And for what purpose do we work so hard? To just get to the next payday and to the next one and the one after that. And then we do it all over again. And to just get enough money to pay another payment on the house or the car and then we start all over again. And the inference is that in slightly different ways, this has been the cycle from the beginning. It's common, it's even normal, but it's a trap. And the book is about real life experiences of a man who had plenty of life experiences and a special gift of wisdom. Solomon had lived life and endured its bumps. He'd had his hardships and better times more than most. And he learned lessons in life which he shares in this book. Even beyond his obvious life experiences, Solomon has credibility because God has gifted him wisdom. And he opens Ecclesiastes with this observation about life in general in uh, verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And when I first come to this, he sounds disappointed or even overwhelmed with life. And I hear him saying life is boring, tedious, predictable. But he opens up this book with a statement that gets my heart. It's like a stinger. But so what's he talking about? I need to know more of what he's talking about. He points out what he did and what he's accomplished and so much that he's learned from being king, his experiences, some regrets even. And he compares it all to what is essentially the most meaningful part of life. And he actually ends the book with an observation of what matters most in life. And uh, because I get to do the introduction in this series... I get to try to provide the perspective that whilst a lot of Ecclesiastes is about the life lessons and things that we should just kind of have a caution note up, like an amber light, I'm prepared to stop. This is my warning to stop. He concludes Ecclesiastes by making a very clear point. And I want us to all see it. In chapter 12, verse 13. Now all of this has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. The second line there, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For Solomon, all of life is about relationship with God. His whole perspective and he didn't he wasn't born with this 
He may not have even been taught it as a youngster. We don't know much about that. We do know that he would have had a very, very good understanding of who God was and been encouraged to love God, being David's son. But Solomon came to a conclusion in his own life and brought his perspective so that we could have a learning. And he says, everything is meaningless without God. His kingdom power, the fame, the wealth, the dominant family, the extravagant lifestyle, ultimately meaningless and pointless. What mattered most for him was to live life according to God. Solomon was having a relationship with the Lord God and following God's purpose and plan for his life. That's what brought him meaning. And he clarifies that time is of the essence, so we should use it well. Solomon discovered that meaningful life was tightly connected with a relationship with God. So the entire point of Ecclesiastes when we have a personal relationship with God life has eternal meaning and value but if we do not have a personal relationship with God then life has a lack of meaning and no eternal value Solomon is the wise king so through his learning and his experiences he discovered that a life which counts is a life in God It's also connected with an understanding of time and how it should be appreciated. The book of Ecclesiastes is a book which is searching for meaning in life. Solomon is on this quest for meaning and draws us into his learning. And the book addresses for us this discovery to find satisfaction, contentment and happiness. And it tells us that the pursuit of life is not happiness or worldly desires, but it's God alone. And what a relationship with God enables, unleashes life for us. It's a learning that we need to absorb and allow the experiences of Solomon to kind of drip feed onto us. I have two simple takeaways Life is meaningless and senseless without the presence of God in our life. When we try to live for any time without God, we discover that life has a lack of meaning. I know for me, there have been times, and I've seen it multiplied so many times in the life of people uh, that God has called me to sit with, that the moment we make a choice to move a little bit away from the focus and the meaning that we know God has given to us and we know in our heart of hearts that to follow God is to choose righteousness and from time to time we might step out of righteousness and and kind of follow uh, our, our fleshly patterns 
And I've seen so many people. That kind of leads to doubt. It leads to confusion. It it leads to a, a, a place in their life where they begin asking questions and things are not clear. And confusion starts to magnify. But I also know for me that I've been given an opportunity to choose to follow God, follow his ways. And when I do that, perspective is bountiful. I'm enabled. I have understanding. Things are so much clearer. God's Holy Spirit has a pathway that he can speak into my life. Guide me. Give me direction. Help me to make good decisions. But if I shut God out, I'm pretty much on my own. That's not a good story. Life is meaningless and senseless without the presence of God in our lives and life will become a burden if we try to live it without God. So many have discovered the disappointment of a life without God's intervention, grace and guidance. I want to give you the opportunity today to choose. We're coming into a time of communion. It's a time of response. It's a time of uh, participation. It's a time when we're enabled to remember. I love the purpose and plan of God in the scriptures and how uh, all through the New Testament we see how God was about bringing people together and having fellowship. And uh, one of the principal things that's been left for us is this communion thing where the Lord's Supper, as it was known, means that people were gathered together with purpose to remember what Jesus did. And, and I love the simplicity of that, but there's a complexity in that as well, that we will never, ever, ever forget that Jesus died on the cross for our sin. Amen? We will not forget because God has enabled for us in this feast to continue to remember that God paid a significant price to restore us in relationship with him. And Ecclesiastes then brings focus to us that from the perspective of a well-learned, wise and very enabled king to live his life, have all of those privileges and to come out the other end and says, life is meaningless without God. Pretty cool. Pretty simple. Very, very good. Very awesome. So thank you, God, for Ecclesiastes. Thank you, God, for communion. So I will never forget that Jesus died that I could live. So I'm going to invite...
We'll pray in a moment. I'm going to invite that if you know the Lord Jesus, that you come. Now, we have to practice our social distancing, so it's a bit like when you're on an airline um, or not before you get on the airline, you need to check in, right? We still do that in Townsville. We wait in a line and we check in. You know how that's done? You, you wait at the front and somebody goes forward and they'll collect their communion and they'll move back and then it's your turn. Uh, and keep our 1.5 along the way. Father, we just thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you because we love you, but we also are just amazed at the way that you love us. So much that you give to us. And the fact that you've given your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to come and to live life and share life, uh, to give us perspective and eternal value. And then because sin pays off with death, there had to be death and you sent Jesus to die in our place so that we don't have to die. We can have eternal value and we can live forever and ever and ever and ever eternally with you in fellowship with you. Wow. What love, what power, what authority, what forgiveness. So we thank you and we remember. And we ask that you will give us enabling to learn and to grow. This is our prayer in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour.